You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 556 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, and it's Sunday afternoon and early recording time on the heels of a very early start time on Sunday. I was in the building for Hawks Bucks earlier today and uh, wanted to record this podcast actually in the arena, but there was an event in the bowl afterwards, so I elected to take the better sound quality, come home, and now record the pod. Um, plenty to get to in what was an awesome game, a 53-minute contest that went to overtime and ended on a game winner from Trey Young. But before we get to the game itself, a lot of news actually that hit beforehand on Sunday morning that I want to go through now with you to open this, thing, open this thing up. So first things first, the most significant um, piece of news coming coming down before the game was that Dwayne Devin is going to miss the rest of the regular season as a result of a non-surgical procedure on his left ankle. The Hawks said, and I'm quoting here, that he will begin a short period of unloading and rehab before returning to regular season, sorry, regular workouts, end quote. And Devin's going to miss the last six games. He missed, of course, today's game and five more after today, doesn't feel like a hugely serious injury for Deadman. And one of those things where I'm, I'm not 100% sure that he would even have to have this procedure right now if it was a do or die, do or die situation for the Hawks. But with the season uh, all, all but over and Deadman battling something now, no reason that he wouldn't have this now, especially as, as he enters free agency on his own over the summer. Uh, sort of as a quick look back at what, at what happened with Deadman this year, for me, it was the best year of his career, pretty clearly. Uh, averaged about 11 and 8 per game with 1.1 blocks per game and shot a career best 38% from three on uh, big time volume for a center. He earned a, a bonus of $900,000 um, on top of his $6.3 million that he actually entered the season with. So it looks like Deadman's going to earn $7.2 million for this season. And as I, as I mentioned before, he'll be a free agent on, on July 1st. We'll, so we'll definitely have a close eye on Deadman. Um, just wor- worth noting here, the Hawks will have his early bird rights, and that'll be uh, worth up to $12.6 million in year one if the Hawks were to use all of their cap space and then wanted to resign Deadman on top of that. There's a little bit of a utility there, and then we'll talk about more um, that talk about that situation more as we get into the summer. But um, unfortunate end to the way um, that Deadman had been playing this season. But I will say that he was awesome. I've, I've always been positive on Deadman in a general sense, but I thought this year he made sort of another leap and is definitely a starting caliber center in the NBA. So um, sh- sh- uh, I guess kudos to him for that and uh, just something to keep an eye on. The Hawks and Nobby shorthanded in the front court as we get as we get going here. And as a result of that, the Hawks actually are going to be bringing in Isaac Humphreys on Monday morning. Um, I actually mentioned this on a previous podcast, but they, but a source told me today that the Hawks will sign him. Humphreys, the former Kentucky big man that was uh, actually playing in Australia last year and then this year with the Erie Bayhawks of the G League. He'll be signed on Monday. Uh, it's definitely an interesting situation in that the Hawks have only 10 days left in the season. So it's a 10-day contract that's also a rest of season contract. Something you can keep in mind there. So Humphreys is just another body because uh, in this game on Sunday, the Hawks only had, in terms of front court options, they had Alex Len, Deontay Davis, and uh, John Collins, who's, of course, the starting power forward. So a little bit short in the front court right now without Plumlee, without Spellman without Poitras. So another body to add to the mix. I did say that earlier on the pod, uh, sorry, earlier on the weekend, but I do want to mention that one more time that Humphreys is on track to for a Sunday, sorry, for a Monday signing and the Hawks will have him down the stretch with the uh, need for front court depth the rest of the way. Uh, speaking of that, Amari Spellman, uh, a little bit of an update on that on Sunday that Lloyd Pierce shared with the media. Pierce all but ruled Spellman out for the rest of the season. He said, and I'm quoting here, that he is 
quote, not looking for Mari to come back, end quote. And uh, Pierce cited that he's not seeing a ton of value in having Spellman come back on a minutes restriction down the stretch with like 10, 12 minutes per game in the last game or two. Um, I assume this at the time. I said this about three weeks ago when the Hawks announced a, a four-week reevaluation timetable for Spellman on March 3rd. Um, but this is definitely the most definitive thing that we've heard so far. Again, the Hawks have not ruled him out 100%, but uh, you, you know, when Pierce is saying that on the record, I think it's probably a good assumption to make now that Spellman's probably not going to be returning this season. And with Plumlee already out and Poitras has not been cleared for a return yet, you add that in with, with, with Devin's absence, and the Hawks are very, very short. Uh, no surprise here, but Pierce did say that he expects Spellman to go to Summer League over the summer. That's something that was definitely something that I assumed will be happening, but the rookie will be going there. That'll be the next time the Hawks fans will see Amari Spellman in all in all likelihood. So, same sort of thing. We'll talk about him more more later, but I sort of wanted to at least, at least pass that along to everyone that uh, Spellman's not likely to return the rest of this season, and the Hawks will be very short-handed down the stretch of the year. Um, turning the attention a little bit more to Sunday's game now, before we get into uh, the actual specifics, um, there was some drama in the pregame with regard to both teams and injuries um, on the Hawks side. Lloyd Pierce actually um, announced to the media that Torian Prince was likely to start and play before this game, and that was at least the plan. And then moments after that, the Hawks released an announcement saying that Prince was going to miss this game about 40, about 40 minutes later. I'm not 100% sure about the backstory there in terms of uh, what happened there, but Prince, of course, missed the previous game with, with foot soreness. Any weirdness there, and it would be good for the Hawks to be careful with Torian, but he did not play in this game. Kent Bazemore did, did return. But that was the one uh, level of Hawks weirdness in terms of the rotation, and that allowed Justin Anderson to start a game for the second straight game. He had a big game, which, which we'll talk about more later on in the pod. On the Bucks side, it was even weirder. The Bucks were already down, already down five players before the game, before the uh, media even arrived on Sunday morning, and then Giannis Antetokounmpo was ruled out. No surprise there. You know, some of the Bucks media had talked about him being likely to be out. He was listed as questionable, but that was not a huge surprise. The rest of it was though, because the lineups were that announced a little bit later than that, and that the Bucks. Ended up ruling out Chris Middleton, the second or third best player on the team. And then Eric Bledsoe was not given an injury distinction on the injury report or on the starting lineup report. But he did not play at all. He was dressed, but did not play at all in this game. And the Bucks started a, a starting lineup of the following. It was Tim Frazier, who played every single second of the game in an overtime game in the NBA, which is absolutely absolutely crazy. Uh, Sterling Brown, Bonzi Colson, DJ Wilson, and Brooke Lopez. Obviously, Lopez is a high-end player, but the other four guys, you know, not exactly what you would think for the best team in the NBA this season. Um, and then the Bucks opened as eight-point favorites in this game. That was built, that was bet down to about five and a half, six on the morning of Sunday, and then it was down to like one and a half or two at tip-off, considering the lineup that they were playing was uh, pretty short. So uh, it's just one of those things, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely update that, <laughs> talk more about that as we get going here. But I wanted to at least set the stage a little bit before we get into a, a small break about just how weird this game was, because Milwaukee was down so many guys. They played eight guys the entire game. The Hawks only had 10 players available as well, so a lot of weirdness, a lot of scrambling. The Devin News hitting on, on Sunday morning, so just to set the scene a little bit, and uh, we'll come back in a, just, a, just a second to talk about the game itself, but I do want to take a moment to remind you to subscribe to this podcast via Himalaya or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. TuneIn Radio, Overcast, all those spots. We have plenty more content coming, even when the season's over, but the season's not over just yet. There's still five more games to go, and uh, we're here after every game and uh, much more than that as well. So please subscribe, please tell a friend, and after the short break, we'll come back and talk more about what happened on Sunday afternoon. All right, we're back to talk about the actual game that transpired. And if you are a regular listener to the show, you would know that I don't normally have a break before the actual game recap, but there was so much going on 
on this fine Sunday that I just had to do that, and the timing kind of was what it was, but there's a lot to get to here, including a crazy start to this game, followed by a crazy finish to this game. Um, at the outset, Milwaukee had complete control of things despite their very weakened roster. As I said before, the Bucks were without most of their talented players. You know, Brooke Lopez has had a great season. They do have some quality depth with DJ Wilson, and uh, Frazier was really good in this game, so was Sterling Brown, but at the same time, they're playing without Giannis, Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe, Tony Snell, Nikola Mirotic. So coming out of the gates, they were expected, at least in my opinion, not to win this game. The Hawks, the Hawks are the better team, the more talented team on the floor, and they were playing at home. So you would think that the Hawks would come out of the gates uh, firing, but they did not do that in this case. In fact, the Bucks were great early on. They were just making everything. It was a 14-4 opening run from the Bucks that kept going. They opened 4-4 four, four, four from 3, and from that point forward, uh, it didn't really stop. There was an 18-4 run by Milwaukee to, to take a 32-10 lead. Um, if you missed this game, you would probably be shocked by that to know the Hawks were down by 23 points in the first quarter at one point. In fact, the Bucks opened 10-14 of 14 from the floor and 8-11 of 11 from 3. In the first six minutes, they had a 245.6, 245.6 offensive rating. Uh, they were just making everything. Uh, it was pretty crazy to see. It wasn't like the defense was terrible. The Bucks were just making a lot of contested shots. Even Lloyd Pierce kind of said that um, after the game when prompted about that, just kind of said, look, it was more about the Bucks making shots than anything else. And I kind of agree with him on that. Even after watching it again, it was the Bucks were just unconscious early on and it, sort of the ball got rolling in that way. Um, in fact, the Hawks did at least push back a little bit holding Milwaukee to holding to a 174 offensive rating in the first quarter, which is still crazy. Uh, it was not the worst defensive first quarter of the season for the Hawks. They allowed um, 46 points to the Hornets, actually, back in February, so only 43 here. But Milwaukee hit 10 threes. Um, worth noting, though, that the rest of the game, Milwaukee only hit seven more. So they had 10 in the first quarter, and uh, there you go from there. The Atlanta's offense actually wasn't that bad. Um, with 26 points in the first quarter, actually had a decent offensive performance. But it was all Milwaukee in the early going, and the Bucks had 48 points in the first 14 minutes. Fortunately, Atlanta finally woke up and started cl climbing back into the game. A nine, a, a, get to, a run to get back within nine early with the offense coming alive to start the second quarter. In fact, it was a 19-5 overall run by the Hawks to get back within striking distance. Um, there was a nice run by DeAndre Bembry individually. I thought he had a great little stretch there. Um, that was and that run was capped by threes from Jalen Adams and Kevin Herter. It was all it was all on the bench, which is definitely shocking considering how good the starters have been recently. It was the bench that sort of led the comeback in the first half. The Hawks got it to five after a while, after a couple of really nice plays from John Collins and Alex Lynn, um, who, who hit a three and was great in this game. The Hawks scored 24 points in the first 548 of the second quarter, and they did that without Trey Young on the floor, which is pretty jarring. You know, Trey's been the offensive engine for a very, very long time, and most of the time, at least in the last couple months, Young has been the catalyst for big-time runs offensively, so it was definitely surprising to see the offense come alive without him. He, of course, made his mark later on. We'll get to that in a moment. It was good to see, though, the Hawks scoring without him on the court, which has been a rarity these days. Uh, the Hawks actually had a had a three from Alex Lynn in the air that didn't fall that would have tied the game in the first half, which would have been crazy. But still, they got within one multiple times. There was a technical foul on Trey Young late when he uh, was, did not like a call, and I think he was right about that one, just for the record. But the Hawks uh, came back in a big way in the second quarter. In fact, they shot 50% from the floor and 8 of 17 from three. Eight threes in the second quarter for Atlanta. They had eight offensive rebounds and 11 assists in the period as well. And then kept Bazemore in a couple of threes, which, which were big at that point in time. Alex Lynn with nine points in the quarter. And Justin Anderson was huge in this entire game. But he had, in the first half, he had 10.7 rebounds, two assists. And he kept that going throughout. The offense was actually really good from, from the Hawks in the first quarter, despite their slow start. Posted a 133.7 offensive rating before halftime with 13 threes. Um, did play not great defense necessarily on, on the whole, but it was enough to get back into the game. And that was huge considering the way that uh, things transpired after that. 
Um, after halftime, Collins opened up with a three to uh, tie the game, and then Alex landed a three on the next possession. So overall, it was a 54-28 to run for the Hawks after they got down by 23 points to take the lead early in the third quarter. Things stabilized after that. Um, Anderson actually got to 19 points and, uh, in 19, in his first 19 minutes of play, which is crazy to, t- crazy to see. We'll talk more about Justin later, but that was a crazy run to see him uh, sort of going wild offensively. The Hawks led by as many as eight, actually, in the uh, late portion of the third quarter, but then the Bucks closed on a 9-2 run to get back within one. The fourth quarter flipped on its head a little bit with a 17-6 run by the Milwaukee to go up by 10 at 114-104 after the Hawks led by 8 points, but uh, a nice 7-0 run by the Hawks to get back thing, back within striking distance with about 5 minutes to go, get back within 3. From there, it was a lot of back and forth without going too deep into things there. A couple of bad turnovers, some misses, some ugly some ugly play, but a tip dunk from Pat Connaughton with 31 seconds to go, put the Bucks up by 3, and the Hawks looked to be in some serious trouble there, but then Collins missed a 3, Hawks got the rebound, and then Alex Lynn hit the game-tying three at the end of regulation. Um, from there, though, it got to uh, overtime, which things uh, got crazy there as well. The Hawks didn't score for about two minutes to open, open the uh, overtime period. In fact, Milwaukee went up by four points, but then Anderson hit, hit another three. He was great again in this game. Got a stop. Beverly missed at the rim, but um, from there, Wilson um, for Milwaukee hit a bucket to go up by three again. Um, Collins missed a free throw at the 228 mark to get that would have tied the game, but from there, a lot of back and forth. A three from er- old friend Ursula Sova to go up by four points um, with about a minute and a half, maybe two minutes to go. From there, the Hawks got down by five with 116 remaining after a Ursan Ilyasova layup. Down five, 116 to go, but called a timeout. From there, it was all Hawks. Uh, Trey Young found John Collins for a dunk out of the timeout to get back within three. Hawks got a stop, and then Young found Alex Lynn for a dunk again to get back within one. And then they got another stop on his, on his Sterling Brown miss, and then Trey connects on a floater with 6.6 seconds remaining. That was a huge shot from Young, and not quite his biggest shot of the game. We'll, we'll say that for a moment. But after that, a quick bucket from Sterling Brown off the dribble to uh, score and put the Bucks up by one with 1.1 seconds remaining. And then the play that I'm sure you've all seen by now, they ran, a, they ran sort of a lob play for John Collins. Lloyd Pierce talked about the fact they just want to get – their best athlete, which is Collins, in space and try to make, just have him make a play in sort of a Hail Mary situation. Got tipped away, but right to right to Trey Young. Pretty fortunate bounce there from uh, Brooke, Brooke Lopez knocked it away, but it went, went right to Trey, who caught the ball with his offhand, went back to his right hand, managed to get it off just before the buzzer, and it bounced a few times, but went in, and that was the, that was the, escape, uh, the escape hatch for the Hawks. That was a really, really fun one, honestly, because I'm sure I know I went through that quickly, but just a lot of back and forth. I could have gone through the play-by-play and just taken you know 10 minutes talking about how the incredible back and forth at the end of at the end of regulation and at the end of overtime. But the Hawks just made enough plays, and uh, Trey Young was the impetus for that in the overtime period with three great passes, and then of course the um, the floater, and then the game winner. So he was just fantastic, honestly, in the in overtime. He wasn't great before that. We'll talk more about that later. But he made the plays when they when they were needed, and finished with 16 assists, which kind of speaks for itself. And the way that he played made plays for others. So, uh, all told, here the Hawks the Hawks trail, of course, as, as I mentioned before, forty three to twenty in the first quarter. But from there, for about forty two minutes, that was that was after the first eleven minutes of play or so. The last 40, 40 42 minutes, it was one sixteen to ninety two in favor of the Hawks. They shot the ball very well, forty five percent from the floor, nineteen of fifty from three during that during that, during that portion for the Hawks with thirty two assists. Only five turnovers and 11 offensive rebounds. So awesome offensive production from the Hawks after they got down by 23 early on. And from that point forward on Milwaukee, they shot 7 of 38 from three. So they cooled off considerably after their scalding hot start and had 15 turnovers in the last 42 minutes of play. Uh, those those things combined to uh, shoot things towards the Hawks and uh, a lot of indiv- individual great performances over that last you know 40 minutes or so. Justin Anderson had 20 of his 24 um, in, that, in that stretch. Lynn had all 23 of his points. 
Um, Young had 15 assists in the last 40 minutes of play. Collins 16 points. Just a lot going right for the Hawks after they got down big early on in the game. Uh, elsewhere uh, on the, uh, I guess, the notable stats portion of the podcast is that Trey Young um, was obviously fantastic, but it wasn't just him. Um, you know, offensively, the Hawks connected on uh, on 22 turn, uh, 22 threes, I should say, which ties for their season high. Um, they had 19 made with five minutes left in the third quarter. So they actually went kind of cold after that, but um, still managed to tie that record. The attempts, the Hawks set their uh, season high for attempts with 51 in a regulation game. They only actually had 61 in this game, which is a ton of attempts. And uh, an NBA record was set by these two teams in this game with 100, one more time, 116 three-pointers attempted. That's pretty crazy, even, even in overtime. In fact, they had 109 in regulation. That, that, that would have already been the record in regulation or otherwise. And then they added seven more after that, just bombs away. Uh, um, Lloyd Pierce was actually asked about that after the game and referenced the Milwaukee zone that they were in. Milwaukee was so shorthanded that they, that, that they were able to play zone the entire game. And that just kind of allowed the Hawks to bomb away the entire night and, oh, sorry, the entire afternoon, I should say. And uh, 2261 isn't the greatest and prettiest math in the world, but if you factor that out by the entire game, it's definitely enough makes. And uh, the offense was uh, very, very good throughout the contest. So uh, all that to say, there was a lot of uh, notable things happening team-wise, but the Hawks' offense ended up with a 116 offensive rating that will win you most games. Only nine turnovers. In 53 minutes of play, that's awesome for this Hawks team. Uh, before the game, Pierce actually referenced the lack of turnovers as one of the big reasons why the Hawks have been breaking out uh, offensively, and I would definitely second that. They had a historically bad turnover rate for about the first three or four months of the season, but ever since then, they've been more normalized in that, in that fashion, and just allowing themselves to have more opportunities has been really huge for the offense. Um... 44% from the floor, 36% from three doesn't like jump off the page, but the 36 assists definitely does. 36 assists is just crazy at any point in time, and 15 offensive rebounds. That's a huge factor in why the Hawks won this game, just generating second chance points and all that fun stuff, um, and limiting turnovers as well. Had 10 steals and 10 blocks as well. Um, the defense was not great in this game on an overall sense with 115 defensive rating, but still, they did enough, more than enough, to win this game. And if you factor it in again, after the first 10 minutes or so, the Hawks were much, much, much better than the Bucks, and basically every aspect of this game that ended up being the case and getting the win here. We normally would break here, but we're, we're going to keep going uh, and talk about the individual players in this game. Um, and there's a lot to talk about, honestly, because, uh, you know, the bench um, had their big moment in the first half and they cooled off from there. The starters were really struggling early on and they got hot after that. So we'll talk about the bench first in this contest. We'll start positively at the outset. I thought Bembry was great. DeAndre Bembry had a really good game in this game. 16 points, six rebounds, three assists, three steals, and a block shot in 22 minutes. Very, very productive from DeAndre. Five of ten from the floor, two of six from three, which is nice as a, as a threat out there. Got to the line six times. Uh, defensively had some bad moments for him, but still been in a couple of big plays as, as a defender with the three steals to be sure in the block. I thought it was a generally positive game for Bembry. He was probably the best player off the bench for Atlanta in this spot. Vince Carter had a sort of a cold shooting day, um, which is another one of those things where if you told me that um, Trey Young and Vince Carter would combine to shoot 8 of 30 and uh, 3 of 17 from 3, I'd tell you that the Hawks lose this game, and they still managed to come back and win it, despite those guys who were you know, two of their best shooters by far, um, not having, not really having it in this, spot, in this spot. But Carter was 3 of 11 and 1 of 8 from 3 on his own. Um, did make some nice plays, and hit, hit one, hit the one 3 that he made was actually a big momentum shifter in the first, in the first quarter, which is worth pointing out that was one of the one of the pivot plays when things got going for the Hawks offensively 
Elsewhere on the bench, Deontay Davis was pretty quiet. Six points, six rebounds, and two blocked shots. I'll be interested to see if they play Humphreys or Davis more moving forward. But Davis had to play in this game, played 22 minutes, and didn't kill the Hawks. Had some ugly moments, though. Um, his just his awareness is not always there, to be sure. He doesn't always play with the greatest energy in the world, but he's very talented. You can definitely see that at various times. Joe Adams had uh, played 18 minutes. He was actually plus six, which is kind of surprising. But uh, eight points, two rebounds, two assists, a steal, and a block for Joe Adams, which is uh, shots to him on that. Um, three of seven from the floor, two of six from three. Made a couple of big shots. Kent Bazemore struggled once again. His shooting um, continues to be kind of brutal. He shot about, he shot less than 30% from the floor in the mar- in the month of March, and that is just kind of just speaks for itself. In fact, I thought he might be breaking out a little bit in the first half when he made two threes in pretty quick succession, but he cooled off after that was still only two of 11 from the floor, and that's really rough for Kent. Six points, four rebounds, three assists. Did make some plays aside from his shooting, but you just can't you can't ignore the lack of efficiency from Bazemore recently. Even if, uh, I have, even as a fan of him as I am, I do like Bazemore quite a little bit, but he's been really rough for about a month now. Um, to the starters, the one guy who was pretty quiet across the board was Kevin Herter. Nine points, four assists, three rebounds. He's not been great lately. Let's just, let's just put that out there. I, I, I still like Herter, and I think still optimistic about his future, but not been the greatest in terms of uh, production recently for Kevin. So three of nine from the floor. Did make three threes, which were uh, important in this spot. It was only minus one in 29 minutes, but just didn't have a huge impact, I didn't think. Um, Alex Lynn had a huge game, 23 points, 6 rebounds, 3 turnovers, was plus 11 to lead the team in 27 minutes, 10 of 15 from the floor, 3 of 6 from 3. I asked Pierce about Lynn after the game. He was pretty positive about him as well, and it's kind of tough to not, tough, tough to not be. He made a bunch of huge plays, made a big 3 when the Hawks needed it down the stretch. And just was in the right place at the right time. The zone treated him well. He shot over it and also found the crevices in it as an offensive player, as a dunker, and all that fun stuff. So I thought he was, you know, he was efficient and productive in the spot. John Collins, 23 and 12, a pretty ho-hum game for him in a lot of ways, but very efficient. 9 of 14 from the floor, did miss three free throws, but three of five from three, shooting the ball with, with big time confidence. Four assists, had one great pass in the first half that I can note off, off the top of my head here, but had three blocks as well. But much more productive defensively recently, playing uh, a lot. I, I don't want to say harder, but more uh, more more responsibly, more reflexively, defensively, making some more plays, using using his burst to his advantage. I thought he played pretty well in this game on the whole. Um, Justin Anderson had the game of his life, or at least the game of his life in a Hawks uniform. People would know that I'm huge on Anderson. I've been calling for more of him all year long. This is not a sustainable offensive game for Anderson, who had 24 points to lead the Hawks in scoring. Justin Anderson led the Hawks in scoring in a full in a full game that included Trey Young and, and, and uh, John Collins and Alex Lynn, all those people. Anderson was great. Um, 24 points, 9 of 16 from the floor, 4 of 8 from 3. Got also had 12 rebounds to tie for the team lead with Collins. 3 assists, 2 steals. Um, it was a Justin Anderson game. He was fantastic. The Hawks don't win it without him being great. Great. Um, not even I, the biggest Anderson fan in the world, was expecting this when he was coming out to uh, play this game. But uh, shouts to him, the Hawks. And, you know, they need they need every bit of it, obviously, and a one point win. But I thought Anderson was fantastic. It does go to go to say just a little bit that the Hawks really like Anderson. You know, Pierce before the game talked about how Justin's been sort of the odd man out in the rotation in recent days and really all season long. But went out of his way to credit him as a teammate, and everyone loves Justin Anderson. In my experience, every every guy that I've ever asked about him is a huge fan of Anderson's work as a teammate and as as an energy guy. And you can see him on the bench; he's one of the ben- one of the bench celebrators. His defense is not really in question. He's a really good defender offensively. This is not really again not a sustainable game for him, but still, twenty four and twelve speaks for itself. He was fantastic, and I was very very happy to see Anderson have a big game and what became a win for the Hawks. And last but not least, Trey Young, who 
if I recorded this podcast in the middle of the fourth quarter, I probably would not have been super positive on the way that Trey played. But at, at the end of the day, he made you know play after play after play in regulation at the end, and also especially in overtime with the last four points, including the game winner. His clutch stats have been fantastic all season long. I would definitely re- I re- recommend a piece that was recently written by Graham Chapel over at PeacherHoops.com, breaking down Trey's um, clutch exploits. He's been one of the one of the better players in the league in clutch this year, and I know that's not always a skill, but I think with Young, you know, he just comes up big in big moments, and he's been fantastic in those spots. Finished the game with 12 points and 16 assists, only one turnover. 16 assists, one turnover. And I know I've been huge on that throughout the season and even before it started. His passing is elite. Absolutely elite. No question about it. Elite. 16, 16 assists, one turnover, though, is pretty insane. And uh, Trey was great in that, in that aspect. Wasn't efficient offensively, though, aside from that. 12 points on 5 of 19 shooting, 2 of 9 from 3. Of course, he made his last two shots, and that was very impressive. He was 3 of 17 before that, but made the floater, and then the game winner, and, uh, you know, awesome performance from Young down the stretch. You know, the whole thing matters, and it would have been nice for him to be efficient, but, you know, the Hawks winning this game without without a monster game from Trey, of course, they needed everything that he did down the stretch to win it, but um, he always seems to make big plays at big times, and that's something that Hawks fans could certainly be excited about. I am, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to not be positive about Trey Young these days. He's been really, really good and uh, that's worth pointing out over and over again just you know independent of everything else you know take take away the award races take away all the stuff just look for the future and Trey Young has been a huge bright spot for the Hawks down the stretch of the season and he's played in every single game there's something to be durable he played 35 minutes in this game he's just been out there answering the bell over and over and over again and very easy to be excited about Trey Young's future and John Collins future and Kevin Herter's future and etc cetera, etc cetera. but Trey's been the bright the brightest spot for Atlanta for the, especially for the last few months but especially you know I, I would say all season long he and Collins that's that's a heck of a foundation for Atlanta moving forward. So with that said, um, a memorable game in a lot of ways. It's a little bit longer than I would normally go on a solo podcast, but there was so much to hit on in a 136 to 135 overtime win over a Bucks team that you know this this, this game will look better in retrospect on the uh, on the uh, schedule sheet, the schedule and result sheet. Um, if you just see Bucks and a one point win, kind of ignoring the fact that Milwaukee didn't play their good guy, their good players in this game. Um, all told, the Hawks probably should have won this game more comfortably if they had played well, and uh, I think the uh, things sort of settled in after the slow start. But still, it's a win, and the one that I, I have to point out is part of my contract. I'm kidding about that, but the Hawks probably needed to lose this game in some ways because of the uh, the ping pong ball race. It would have been probably a good one for Atlanta to lose. The way they won it is definitely a positive in some ways because they won it with with their young guys, Trey making plays, John making plays. Um, so if there there are, there are worse ways to win this game, I would say it's uh, it's, it's easy to be positive about the way that the, that the game ended. I will say that I tweeted this. It was kind of a bad win for the Hawks. As I'm recording this, actually Dallas is winning in the fourth quarter, which would be very very helpful. Um, you will definitely know the result of that game um, as, as you listen to this podcast. But as I'm recording, Dallas has a chance to win in Oklahoma City. That'd be a pretty crazy result and a very helpful result for the Hawks. A lot of people were sort of going back at me for saying it was a bad win, talking about the uh, uncertainty of the lottery race, and I'll be the first to tell you, and I've been tweeting out the results all season long, or at least the uh, odds all season long, that it's not really about the Hawks falling a spot. It's more about the Mavs pick. The Hawks pick is going to be where it is. They're going to have to get lucky to get in the top three, top four. Um, they're going to be more unlikely to be out in that top four than likely to be in it. With that said, they want to stay in front of the, of the Mavericks. Um, trying to keep the Mavs out of the top five is more important than where the Hawks pick actually lands, in my opinion. So that's kind of why. Um, if it wasn't Dallas in the pick right behind the Hawks, it wouldn't be as big of a deal. But at the end of the day, the ping pong balls are going to matter a little bit. You certainly can get lucky. You know, last year, I think people have almost forgotten this, but the Hawks got lucky in a lot last year. 
to go up to number three. It wasn't hugely lucky. It wasn't like this outlier result, but going into the lottery last year, the baseline result was not necessarily to be staying in the top three. So they got a little bit lucky there. Um, they'll certainly want to get lucky this year again. We'll talk more about that, of course, over the next um, you know month and a half or so before the lottery. But um, you know, not the greatest situation where you want to, you're almost rooting for a loss if you're a Hawks fan in some ways. But you know, if you had to win it, winning it on the back of Trey Young and a game winner and a memorable game on a Sunday when the entire NBA is watching because it was the only game in the time slot is probably a good way to win it. So we'll end on a positive note there and uh, talk more about this as we get going throughout the rest of the way. So a scheduling note here, probably no, I probably will not have another podcast until after the game on Tuesday night. The Hawks have a back-to-back Tuesday, Wednesday, so I'll have two more podcasts about those games. Tuesdays in San Antonio and then Wednesday at home against against Philadelphia in the second-to-last home game. Only two more home games remaining after this one. Only five games overall remaining for the Hawks, so precious few games to take in if you are a huge diehard Hawks fan. Only five more, and uh, obviously the league will keep going after that, but we'll have plenty more content. I'll have some uh, I have some guests lined up for the, uh, for the immediate future and the the more distant future we will not be going away at all when the season ends we'll have plenty of draft content we'll sort of flip into almost like a draft podcast between you know mid-april and uh june so Please stay tuned for that. Please tell your friends about the podcast. Subscribe on Himalaya, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on TuneIn Radio, Overcast, Google Podcasts, all those places. We should be there. And uh, please tell your friends. We'll see you all later on in the week.